Welcome into the Emo Online podcast. Mason Voth, Gabe Schwartz here with you from Emo Online. Alec MIA today. He's busy in New York City with everything going on with the Wildcats. So he is uh, getting a, a little bit of a break from the podcast life. You will hear from him in a little bit, though. Uh, we get a little look at the Michigan State side of things. So uh, be sure to stay tuned for that. But first, uh, a time to kind of dive into the Wildcats and what they did over the weekend and then also what is on the horizon for them just two games away possibly from a Final Four appearance. It's not going to be easy, though. They're going to face a Michigan State team that just knocked off Marquette, who was the two seed in the region. And uh, Tennessee, they, they've they kind of skated by a little bit, although they, they took a pretty strong challenge in Duke head-on, and they get to avoid the one seed as they're going to face Florida Atlantic. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll just start with a basic thing for you, Gabe. Um, since we haven't gotten your thoughts, what did you think of the way that K-State played over their two games uh, in Greensboro, and more specifically, probably the one against Kentucky? Um, I thought that given the words that we heard from Jerome Tang talking about, uh, I'm confident that we're going to have success in the tournament because I'm confident that the first game we're going to, we have a staff that's going to game plan. Well, like that was a pretty gutsy thing to go out there and say as a first year head coach, but he backed it up. Like K state handled Montana state the whole time. Um, I was working that evening and I had the game on at my desk. Uh, I wouldn't say that I watched it as closely as I would have liked to just because of my occupation. But uh, I I would say that at no point while I was watching that game did I think K-State was in any danger of losing it. Um, and when you're the three seed, if you can accomplish that, I know that like everyone thinks three and 14, and maybe it's changing a little because we see another 15 beat a two. But if you're a three seed and you at no point are like, eh, this could be a game or this could be a game that we're going to have some tough moments in, in the last two to three minutes. Like that's a success as a three seed. Uh, it's, it's, it's expe- especially a success as a three seed when you haven't been to the tournament in multiple years and you're under a first year head, co- head coach coaching his first tournament game. So I thought like all things considered grading relative to scale for K state Friday night was like an a plus Sunday. I thought that, missing the first 12 or 13 threes of the, of the game was probably going to be a hole that dug them a little too deep. And then I realized uh, that my pregame thoughts of, Hey, Kentucky's not that good. And Kentucky's (laughs) roster has a lot of flaws. Uh, Eventually that kind of just played itself out because they stayed around for a while. Um, They were able to get a star performance from Marquise Noel they were able to get a good enough performance as a running mate by Keontae Johnson. And part of that was because Naquan Tomlin showed up like, like an elite third, a thir- elite third man. Um, and Desi Sills played a great role. Ish hits a huge shot. Gasan was about as perfect as he can be in his role. Uh, and, and played to a T the, if you got five fouls, use them. Like he used his five fouls about as, yeah. as effectively as possible, even though I think one or two of them was a little ticky tack. Um, and like, again, if I would grade relative to scale, like aside from just missing wide open threes early in the game, I thought K-State played a really phenomenal basketball game. I thought that Jerome Tang's rotation was great. And I'm probably going too long on this and we can dive into different stuff as we go. But like, I thought Jerome Tang ran circles around Cal and like Cal was hitting different buttons 
and just curious, like curiously went to a lineup that he had, he went to a five man lineup late in the first half, I believe, or early second half, whenever when K-State made one of its crazy runs mm-hmm. and Kentucky was playing five guys who had played one singular minute together the entire season. So the fact that Calipari was hitting these different buttons and trying weird stuff showed you just how like in disarray his team was, whether that's injuries, his roster having some flaws, all those types of things, whatever, whatever. Tang found his rotation, knew it wasn't a Bay Bay game, knew it wasn't a Tykee Green game, and just rode his six guys, rode his seventh guy with Masood and having have an ish out there in a big moment and it pays off. So like absolutely knock it out of the park perfect first weekend for k-state and and then the bracket does itself some favors and now you're looking you're looking at wearing white jerseys uh all weekend in new york if if things go well yeah uh you're right they they did find out rather quickly that it wasn't going to be a bay bay game uh he got in there went down the floor uh twice and something didn't go his way offensively and then they go back to the other end and he allows the the entrance pass to to Shibway get far too low. Shibway is like standing inside the cylinder, uh, and he just kind of bodies Bebe and gets an and one dunk. And that was done. That was it for Bebe. So he didn't get his chance. Uh, Tyke Green did get a couple minutes there. I, I think just to try and for a stretch, be a little bit more physical and and bounce some guys around. Um, I think the scary thing for Calipari is that K State went on their run to take the lead going into halftime without hitting a three, and with Marquise Noel only having four points in the first half. The other thing, Noel only dished out – he ended up dishing out nine assists for the game, um, but Kentucky really struggled to turn him over as well, which we knew that was kind of a big deal for them. Um, And and that's what we saw. Marquise Noel was was pretty good with his turnover situation there. But then they come out, and Jerome Tang did a nice job of getting K-State in a position where – they could get some more of the switches that gave Noel an advantage to shoot. I mean, that was the thing on the first three that he knocks down was so big time was, and I don't know, part of this might be a flaw in Case and Wallace defending, but Wallace and Shibway are over there with Noel who leaks to the corner. And Tomlin is just far enough away on the wing to where Wallace has made kind of the switch. And so Shibway is going to have to take Noel. And Wallace, he he drifts with Naquan because he's scared that he's either going to take a three, which Naquan's been better about lately, or drive past him and get to the basket because that's the kind of game Naquan was having. He was four or six and had eight points in the first half and was really good. So he gets far enough away, and the second that Noel recognizes that Shibway is the only guy that can play defense on him, he takes that little step back, drills it from the corner, and that's kind of the start of where things started to look up for K-State. So, I mean, they just – everything that they did in, in the game, they were able to, to find a way – to just do it better than Kentucky and kind of battle through. And, you know, one of the uh, other, I think, underrated parts of this is you talk about Gasson using those five fouls. Gasson was uh, – this was easily his best game of the year. Like, offensively, you're not going to see it in, in in the scoring, but he came out there. Um, the word that Alec has used is soft uh, for David Gasson. Um, he – he had some moments where maybe he could have been a little bit stronger, but for the most part, he tried to match every bit of physicality he could. He played hard. And then he also made some key plays on the, the play that ultimately ends up with Keontae Johnson hitting the dagger three that puts K-State up five with like a minute left. 
they get an offensive rebound because Gasson is the guy that taps it back out and does a great job. And then the other thing to point out, you talk about Jerome Tang. If you watch the play that Ish hits the, the go-ahead three on, the second Noel gets to midcourt, Tang is just the entire possession pointing to the spot that he wants Ish to get the ball out. Like, he is pointing over here like, look, this is what's going to happen. Marquise Noel picks it up because then he directs David Gasson to get him in the right spot to get the screen set. And it was – I mean, it's a thing of beauty for K-State. It, it's a, a shot that just as easily could have missed, but it was drawn up perfectly. And I think it also goes to show just how much confidence they have in some of these ancillary pieces that at times we don't have the most confidence in. Uh, but they believed in Ishmael that he could handle it, and by golly, he did. So it, it, just a very impressive performance all around to handle Kentucky, even when they went on the run to get up eight points in the second half. I think I looked at Alec at that point, and I just was like, it's over, uh, whatever, you know. Uh, but K-State proved me wrong. They got back into it, and they they took control there, and they didn't back down. And Jerome Tang got a lot of angry Kentucky fans over this, but he was absolutely right. Like, K-State did have more dudes than Kentucky on Sunday. It doesn't mean that K-State has more better players overall, but on Sunday, K-State's players played better, harder, and tougher, and that equates to being a dude, and K-State did have more of those guys on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, if you're going like matchup by matchup, sure, Oscar wins his matchup. Yeah. I think Oscar's a freaking travel and bully ball merchant. Yes. And if he was, I understand he's a super hard player to officiate, but if he was officiated correctly, uh, he would, his numbers would look a little more like the guy that played at West Virginia at the start of his career. Yeah. Um, but Jacob Toppin got outplayed by David Gasson which is just insane to think of um, Naquan like did his part, but if you're going like the dudes, if you're going dudes ratio, Marquise Noel was the dude, the entire second half. And then the only other dude on Kentucky that showed up other than Sheepway was uh case Wallace. And he mm -hmm. was nine for 11, but, uh, Antonio Reeves was like negative three dudes out there for them because he was yeah he was basically every jump shot from him was a pass to a K State guy, um and and that worked worked out pretty well for them. But I thought the second half with the way the way that Marquise operated in the pick and roll was as close to NBA style as I've seen from a college player in a, in, in a relatively long time where between Marquise and between what Tang was doing and like you're, you're, you pointing out knowing exactly where he wanted ish to spot up from. It was very NBA like in that when you watch playoff games in the NBA, oftentimes it, it literally just becomes pick and roll with whoever you want to make a play asking for, the guy on their offensive team who's being guarded by the guy they would most like to be guarded by mm -hmm. coming in a screen. And then you get a matchup you want and you just attack it. And Marquise did that over and over and over again. And like credit to Jerome Tang for not being like, Oh, we got to run this and we got to run this. And we got to run this. And we got to do all these different things. Sometimes you just have the answer and you should just span. Like sometimes the Scantron is just five straight A's. And like, that was what K-State did yeah. on Sunday and it worked. 
And like sometimes basketball is just a simple game and you've got a guy like Marquise Noel doing that and it just works. And it worked on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they they got what they needed. And the, the encouraging part is that K-State did not shoot it well at all uh, in, in Greensboro. They were 9 of 36 from three over the two games that they played there. So a uh, little math action, that's 25% for the Wildcats. And yet they were still able to, as you said, get a comfortable win against Montana State. They went on their little run. They kind of pushed it out of, out of the way. You didn't ever have to worry in that game. And you're right. That's all you want in that 314 matchup. Because so many people are conditioned now to think that the 14 is going to be a little feisty. And certainly Montana State could have been. Raekwon Battle profiled as one of those guys that could make a 14 seed be feisty. Um, he got his, but it didn't matter because K-State kind of got him into foul trouble and nobody else could really step up. And on the topic of Shibwe, like as much as I hate the guy now because he's just so annoying and he's oversaturated and he's really soaking everything up that he can. And then, you know, a day after they lose, he turns his back on Fairleigh Dickinson. So I'm sure he loved that place like a huge amount. Tobin Anderson, as annoying as that guy is to me right now, Sister Jean Jr. in the same category as Mick Cronin's dad in 2021. Get him off my TV screen. I'm done with him. He did say one thing that I think equates to what K-State realized in the, the game against Kentucky and also the game against Montana State. And that was... He said, hey, look, we looked at Zach Eady, and in wins and losses, his numbers are the exact same. He gets his regardless. And we saw that with Oscar Shibway. He got his numbers against Providence. He only scored nine points, but had 25 boards in a comfortable win for Kentucky. Well, against K-State, like, he's going to body you. You just have to match him enough to where he doesn't have, like, some insane game. Now, 25 and 18 looks pretty insane. Um but there's certainly a realm where we could project K-State to have given up more to, more to him. So I think K-State realized that, and it's like, okay, we'll just try and match him physically, see if we can get enough out of it on our end uh, and expose him there, and then everybody else will work and focus on. And some of it's Antonio Reeves just had a terrible shooting day, but another part of that is, like, you don't go 1 of 15 when you're a 40% three-point shooter the entire season unless you're being defended a certain way or getting put in really tough situations. And K-State was able to do that. So um, I, I thought they were they were really good, and it was a, a good weekend for them. And now it sets up this matchup with Michigan State where um, the number one thing that I love about this matchup with Michigan State is the fact that they turn the ball – they turn opponents over even less than what Kentucky does. And that was really the shining light in this for K-State because they turned the ball over eight less times than Kentucky. It was 16-8. to eight. Kentucky turned it over – uh, double what K-State did. Michigan State's even worse at that. They're outside the top 300. I think they're like 351 out of, what, 366 Division One schools. They're in the 15% range. Um, I love that for K-State because as we saw on Sunday against Kentucky, if you give them the opportunity to stay calm and let Marquise Noel handle the ball and run an offense or run some kind of set, K-State has the guys that are absolutely executing on that right now. So, that's one of the main reasons why I'm so confident in what they can do against Michigan State and why I think what we saw this past weekend translates to weekend number two. Um, what are some of the things that stick out to you about K-State that you think that they can carry forward from taking down Kentucky and Montana State or some of the things that maybe were anomalies and you don't expect to happen again uh, against Michigan State or in a possible Elite Eight game with somebody? Well, I mean – 
certainly the turnover situation that you're you're mentioning because Kentucky turnover percentage defensively they turned teams over at the 271st best ranking in the nation uh Kate and Michigan State is 338th and that's out of I believe 355 division one teams Mm -hmm. if I have that number correctly um so like Michigan State is significantly worse at doing the thing that K-State does so in, in in that sense not that not that K-State has to worry less about it because I still think it is largely a is K-State locked in or not thing on whether they turn the ball over a ton or not. Um, I think it is very controlled by them and just the way that they play. I mean, Marquise Noel is out there throwing no-look dishes. He's out there throwing behind-the-back dishes, uh, stuff like that during games. But that should should be better for them. I also just think that K-State should be able to rebound the ball uh, better uh, defensively because, like, the the thing about Kentucky that scared you so much is that they were the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. Yeah. And Michigan State doesn't rebound their misses very well. They're 219th in the country in offensive rebound percentage. So – Maddie Sissoko, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, like they are, none of them are taller than six foot nine. So Naquan Tomlin will be the tallest guy on the court. Uh, none of them are particularly like thick, I guess, or guys that are extremely hard to box out. I would say like all of these guys are positional rebounders. The ball, the ball, they don't, they don't go and leap over you to get rebounds. They don't go through you to get rebounds. Like it, the ball has to bounce in the correct direction for them to get it. So if K-State just does what they should and I guess rebounds according to task, um, they should do well. I think, I think against Kentucky, honestly, at times they were getting offensive rebounds just off of weird bounces. Like there was a, there was all that, dead like hit in the corner of the rim and just dropped straight down and Shibway grabbed it and dunked it. Um and in K State, I think that was 54, 51, I believe. And then Marquise comes down and he's a dude and he pulls yeah. up from the logo and hits a three. And it just doesn't matter. So the the two areas that K State has struggled the most consistently is who's going to rebound the ball because it can be any guy on any night, but also like that's kind of a negative because there's no <laughs> yeah there's no consistent I know where I'm, I'm getting nine or 10 rebounds out of that guy or eight rebounds out of that guy. Um, and then turnovers and Marquise Noel so far has done knock on wood, a really solid job of playing with playing within himself while also playing like he's on a, a massive stage. I would just say if I was going to have a little worry and I would whisper this, I wouldn't yell it. Uh, I would say first game in New York, first game at Madison square garden for a guy like Marquise Noel, who's a little bit of a showman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. Kit. The vitamins might need to be taken or like the vitamin might need to be taken in the first two minutes and then really get it out of your system. Cause if it comes on a crucial possession, yeah. Mid first half as Michigan States on a seven Oh run, that's where you get into that situation where I was worried on Sunday because Kentucky had one of those kill shot 10-0 runs that Evan Miyakawa calls it. 
And I didn't think K-State was going to answer it. And then K-State went and got, I think it was eight in a row with the Noel three. Yeah, they the they got down eight and they immediately they immediately tied it, basically. Yeah. And it was spurred by Desi Sills, who had two takes to the bucket. Uh, one that he just finished, and then the other that he got the and one on, which was impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Honestly, um, this is where, you know, maybe someone would tell me that I'm a terrible coach. Uh, if I'm if I am Jerome Tang, I am aware of this and what's going on. And I say to myself, okay, I, I know what ingredients I have here. What am I going to make? And what I would make is if you win that tip, you got to be smart about it. Just analyze, analyze where where Michigan State is and how they're handling this. Let Marquise Noel get it out of the way early. Let Marquise oh. Noel get the ball and a couple steps past half court, just hoist one because either he gets it out of he either I gets out this. of his system or it goes in and Michigan State is going, oh shit, what what do we get ourselves into? The cats are fired up. And that also immediately gets all those people that have zero attachment to the four schools that are in that building locked in like, hell yeah, I want Kansas State to be the team that wins. Like, this is what I'm getting. Like, all the Mason votes in attendance would be like, yeah, this is this is the team I want to ride with. Not, not old man Izzo over there and griping about everything else like yeah so I just that's that's how I would approach it let let Marquise Noel get it out of his system early and I was going to ask you about this like this team has four dudes that are from New York on the roster obviously it's a big deal one because they were getting hounded with questions about it not just after beating Kentucky where they had already secured going to Madison Square Garden TV people were asking these questions after the win against Montana State you know just just so you could ask them just so you had that story ready to go if they did lose to Kentucky. Like, it was one of those deals where it's been talked about relentlessly. And so the two number one storylines that K-State is just going to be continuously hounded with until they're done this year, Marquise Noel, plus the three other guys going back to New York, and the Keontae Johnson story. Obviously, they've dealt with the Keontae story all year, so they, they've been able to manage that. They know what's going on there. But the story of Marquise in New York, it's not just now – this you know story it's actually going to manifest and happen and so i am a little bit concerned about how it's going um but i i think we saw that if they can do what they did against kentucky and when they got down like that's a big stage a lot of dudes that hadn't played in the ncaa tournament and you're playing a team that they're not like a number one seed type kentucky but that jersey still said kentucky on it you're in a very pro uh kentucky crowd situation and that's a moment that I, I worried about. Maybe, will this team be able to handle it? But they stepped up to the plate, and they did that. So I, I have some confidence that they'll be able to do it. And the other thing is, too, I think this, this coaching staff and this team is so over-the-top engaged with the little things or, like, social media and stuff like that that if this is going to be a distraction for them going to New York, they're probably better equipped for it than other teams because I think this team creates their own distractions. Like, and that's not me saying it's a bad thing, but Jareem Dowling is on Instagram 24-7. Jerome Tang at 3.30 in the morning is on Twitter saying, want to know what's next. Like, these guys are uber aware of everything that's going on. They are aware of these different things that could be distractions, and they've handled it just fine. And so I've got confidence that they can show up and get it done. And at the end of the day, 
the one thing that we know that Marquise Noel wants more than to play in Madison Square Garden is just to continue proving people wrong and playing good basketball. And I think we saw him be able to lock in, and to this point, the two most important games of the season for K-State in the NCAA tournament. And he very easily could have bought all the way into, yep, I'm the dude. This is my moment. I got to do it. And instead of buying into it and playing that way, he just went out and did it. I, I refer to this sometimes. Um, it gets a good laugh out of people because they, they're like, what are you talking about? I, I coined this phrase uh, on my radio show in Wichita. I refer to it as PMS. Uh, maybe I've talked about it on here before, but PMS is Patrick Mahomes syndrome. And what, what we all know is that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, very easily could end up being the most talented quarterback that we've ever seen play in the NFL. And he makes some crazy good plays. He is a winner. He, he obviously helps the Chiefs get to new levels that they've never been to. But there are occasionally times where it's okay to admit, admit that Patrick Mahomes instead of just going out and playing football, tries too hard to be Patrick Mahomes, and it does cost him. It, it does cost the Chiefs in some ways. And so I could easily see Marquise Noel falling into that trap of get, you know having a little PMS going on, a little Patrick Mahomes syndrome, but he didn't do that in, in, in Greensboro. Like He took some shots that are the equivalent of that, but you can make those plays still without doing it in a way that's detrimental to your team. Like Marquise Noel took those shots and made some of those passes in that game because it was what needed to be done. It was the smart play in that moment and he can do it. It wasn't just him where we saw in various games this year where he did take shots to take them out of it. He took shots on the road at Texas tech or some other places where he's just taking them to take them. And it's, it's a bad idea. He's pressing too hard. He didn't press in any of these games in Greensboro. He just said, I, I got to do what I got to do. And if it wasn't to take those big threes against Kentucky, he would have easily have passed the ball and done it. And we saw him do that as well. So I'm not too worried about that for this team. Now that could all change when we tip off tomorrow and Marquise Noel is like chucking up every shot and he has his Antonio Reeves game and goes one at 15 or whatever. Um, but I think that this team, believe it or not, can handle it despite the fact that they're would be some reasons to believe with their personalities that they wouldn't be able to. Um, but I think this team, I mean, it, it's cliche. Everybody probably says it, but I really do think this team is much more worried about the, the winning side of it. And they understand that you can do a lot more of the fun things after a win. So you might as well go out and win as opposed to just having fun in the moment and hoping that a win comes with it. If any of that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I came to the realization that a certain part of me believes that some of some of Marquise's turnover problems is him overpassing. Like yes, there there was at least one of the turnovers against Kentucky was just him getting up in the air. Probably should have gone for a layup because nobody contested him, and he expected a contest. And so he instead threw the ball to, I believe it was Gasan, who was leaping in the air for a potential offensive rebound putback. And instead, the ball like went off of him, and it might have been might have been Bebe if there was a turnover on Bebe on the one possession he was in there. I don't remember yeah. exactly, but I do remember there be, being a thought of like, hey, probably should have shot that ball. But I think that it all that all originates from a place of. 
Marquise Noel genuinely wanting other people to succeed. And like he gets a ton of joy out of setting others up for success. And uh, there's there are people who throw there are people who have high assist numbers, Rashawn Rondo, uh, because they just want to get assists. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who have high assist numbers because they make the right basketball play. And so many of the high assist number games for Marquise Noel is because there is a transition opportunity where he could go and drive the ball to the to the rim, and he looks for someone else and he gets them the dunk because he knows that that is the way that he fires up his team. Or he's just looking ahead in transition and he rifles a pass to Naquan, who is a physical freak, who can do things in transition that other six foot ten guys cannot do, and that gets things going. So all of that works out. That's why between that, between the fact that Tyson Walker for Michigan State is a Long Island kid. So like if we're going to do the, oh, yeah. is a New York kid going to be distracted by New York? Well, there's another one on Michigan State. Okay. So it, it kind of offsets a little bit. And I know that there's more guys from New York on the K-State team. But like the person it's most likely to affect, the person it is most important, whether it impacts or not, is Marquise Noel. Same thing with Tyson Walker for Michigan State. And I think it helps that because K-State is the highest seed remaining in this region, let's be honest, there's it's probably the fourth most important region to most national media mm-hmm. because you could go to Las Vegas and everybody loves to go to Las Vegas. Yep. And you could get UCLA, Gonzaga, and UConn. You could go to uh, Louisville and you can get the whole Alabama ordeal of them being the number one overall seed. Or you can go to Kansas City and you can get Houston, which is uh, making like CBS made the decision. CBS sent Jim Nance to Kansas City. So oh, you think CBS made the decision or Jim Nance made the decision? Well, <laughs> but my point being, <laughs> if you look down the, the cruise and like, no, if I don't know, yes, who, if you look down the broadcast cruise and, and you look at where they put this one and, and K State, Michigan State being the first game of the weekend, like they're saying, yes inadvertently or not that this is the least media uh media special one yeah. being. And, and that doesn't make much sense because it is new york and you would think like oh the new york media the new york media doesn't care about uh michigan state and k-state so like this will be a pretty and i saw the amount of people in the locker room today it was still a pretty hyper local scene for yeah. k-state which i think is a super positive thing uh, for this K-State team. And, and you mentioned it. Like, these guys create a little bit of distraction for themselves. Dream Dowling added Coach Cal on Twitter, and that led to Coach Cal feeling apologizing up to, a, to call Marquise Noel and apologize. So, like, it's fine. I'm, I'm totally not worried by that. I'm totally m- more worried about will Jerome Tang figure out how to outcoach Tom Izzo Will he be able to exploit matchups? Because I think there are matchup advantages. Uh, and will K-State – it's a make-or-miss league. It's a make-or-miss sport. Are they going to make shots? Yep. Like, it, Michigan State can make shots from deep. So you could just run into a hot-shooting MSU team, and you could be screwed. Yep. Uh, but you could also let, – let, it's not like K-State has shot the lights out in game one or game two. So – 
And if you go down the list of games this season, I can only personally think of two games in which I was like, you know what? That was a night where K-State shot the ball so well, they could not have lost to anybody. And it's at Texas and at Baylor. Well, in a game, in a season where you've played, uh, what are they at? 25 and nine. So 36 games. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a season where you've played 36 games. If you've only had two nights where you've had the, oh, we made everything, we couldn't possibly lose games. And maybe, like, am I I forgetting another game? Not that I can think of. Not that I – yeah, there's not one that really stands out to me like they shot it. I'm trying to think if there's any other that would maybe register as that. But, no, I I, I don't think so. If Um, you've only had two of those in 36 tries, yeah, you're due. Like you're due for one of those games. Well, and and that's one of those deals too, where if you look around, like they've weathered some really good shooting games from teams and still found a way to win. Like, I, I you know, I get we're all off Baylor now and we kind of realized what was going to happen to them. Um, but Baylor shot 40% from three. They were 11 of 28 in that game in Manhattan. That K-State controlled the second half and won comfortably by 10 points in the end. Like K-State has even been able to withstand games like that or I mean the game for Kentucky like Kentucky didn't shoot it well so I'm not that's not what I'm saying but Kentucky out rebounded them 44 to 25 and K-State still found a way to win that game so they've been able to make up for it in certain areas and get the job done and I think you're right like um, I I went on a a Michigan State podcast this morning and uh, the guy was kind of setting up the stage he's like it's just kind of this thing like Michigan State people feel like there's always some unheralded guy that steps up and just like out of nowhere goes off against us. And he listed the two guys that had really good games uh, for USC and, and Marquette against them that you, you wouldn't have expected. And he's like, who is that guy for you? I was like, well, like there are two candidates here. Like it's either Cam Carter who had 17 against Texas and was knocking down his threes in Austin this year. Or I said, he's, he's important and he's good either way on the floor. But if you get scoring out of him, like K-State's going to win. I was like, Desi Sills had 24 against Kansas. He's not come close to sniffing that at any other point this year. Like, both of those guys are kind of due for a game like that. Now, unfortunately, I thought for Desi it would be against Montana State uh, when my my parlay came a leg shy, and it was because he didn't score more than nine and a half points. He airballed too many threes. Uh, He airballed too many threes there. Um, But I think you're right. I think K-State is is probably due for that at some point. I guess it would be better if you could just delay it and find ways to win games until then. Um, but I'm not going to complain if they go out and shoot the ball lights out against Michigan State tomorrow because they need it. I mean, Michigan State shooting 40% is a big deal from three. Um, I mean, I, I Michigan State would be the best three-point shooting team in the Big 12 with that number. Um, Baylor was 37%. And then this past week, Kentucky would have been the second best three-point shooting team in the Big 12. So even though K-State has got good percentages on defense against the three, the Big 12 isn't a great three-point shooting league. And my eye test has said all year that K-State doesn't defend the three-point line very well. So that's the number one thing that worries me, worries me about Michigan State. But K-State can match up with them anywhere else. And it just comes down to what we talked about so many times from mid-January on. K-State's going on to the floor tomorrow night against Michigan State with the two best players on the floor. And they are two guys that play incredibly well with each other. Like they play complimentary basketball. Their styles mesh very well. And then 
The fact that Naquan Tomlin put together, I thought, back-to-back very solid games for them in the NCAA tournament is a big deal. And I'm hoping that uh, some people may not get the pop culture reference, uh, but I'm hoping that against Kentucky, that was David Gasson's Gordon Pibb moment, you know? You know who I'm talking about? The the guy from the guy from Dodgeball that is like just there. He's you know the nerd, Mr. Rules guy and everything, but they need him in the end. He's the last man out there. And so they're like, you know, you gotta get angry, you gotta get mean. And eventually he finally gets over the hump. I'm hoping that that was David Gasson's Gordon Pibb moment, where now he is set and ready to go to to bring like he doesn't have to score for K-State, but when he's out there. Do the little things like getting a board or be strong against whoever you're facing inside. Like they can still get you every once in a while because that's going to happen, but just try and stand tall and, and give max effort. And that's what Gasson did. So I'm, I'm hopeful that's what uh, we see out of K State on Thursday. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that honestly worries me the most would be tempo. Like, mm-hmm. We've talked about the fact that K-State sometimes speeds itself up too much. I don't think that K-State can speed itself up too much against Michigan State. But I do think that Michigan State can make the game so slow because they're below 300th in tempo uh, that if Michigan State plays a slow game and Michigan State shoots the ball well from three – your margin for error gets a lot sl- a lot slimmer. Yeah. And in a lower possession game, then taking care of the ball matters even more because you just can't aff- like you in a if there's only going to be 68 possessions in the game as opposed to 74, the difference between 8 and 11 turnovers is massive. Like Yeah. So, so, so crucial. Um, I was just looking at Michigan State's uh, team statistics just because I I was curious about uh, their free throw shooting Um, because K-State sometimes can get foul happy Mm -hmm. and they do shoot the ball 75% from the free throw line. So you don't want to trail them late because – Malik Hall will make his free throws. Joey Hauser will make his free throws as big guys. And then their guards, Tyson Walker makes them. Jaden Akins makes them. Um, you, it, Hogard makes them for the most part. I, I mean, the only time that these guys have not made free throws was at, at Iowa. <laughs> and that was like an all-time. Yeah. So uh, that's that tempo is the one is the one variable that gives me a little bit of pause because like I know Michigan State is favored, but Michigan State's recipe for success, recipe for winning this game, is to play this game like they are the lower-seeded team. Play this game like they are trying to pull an upset and make your threes, overperform in a high-variance outcome of of three-point shooting, and then slow the game down and just make it less possessions. Because the 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 more that talent wins out, and this is crazy to be saying about Kansas State, K-State going against Michigan State, but like the more that talent wins out, the better it is for K-State because if it just becomes a whose stars show up, 
I'm always betting on Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel over Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser. Like I'm just, yeah. if you just tell me the stars are going to show up, I feel great about K-State's chances on Thursday night. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think um, the nice thing about Keontae Johnson, there are times where he looks like he disengages um, in moments. But we've also seen this year, he has the ability to have a brutal game or start to it and find a way to make an impact still, whether it's a bad first half or a great second half. Like we saw against Nebraska, that was the first time we saw it this year. He started off really slow. It was ugly in that game. And the initial thought is, all right, we're going to see them in a game where Keontae Johnson doesn't have it. Let's see how it goes. And then he went on a tear to end the first half, and he was awesome in the game. Um, and then against Kentucky, it's a similar situation where he really struggled in the game. Didn't you know hit some of the shots he normally does. Wasn't very good percentage-wise. But when they needed him most, he hits that big-time three uh, at the end of the game to, to kind of seal it and force Kentucky to have to foul. So – I mean, I, I'm with you on it. I think I think K State uh, is in a is in a good position here. One of the uh, other things that to me kind of stands out about how this game is going to have to play out for K State. I will be interested to see. Um, I, I, again, we, we've mentioned it a few times, but like Gasson and Tomlin, I think had their best games of the year against Kentucky. I, I'm I've been asking for it all year, but like Naquan Tomlin has something finally clicked and fallen into place to where. I'm not expecting him to be, you know, nuts every game. But if he can go out there and give them something legitimate and respectable on a, a game-by-game basis, like, I'm ready to see if that's something that he's going to bring to the table uh, where he's been in double figures in both NCAA tournament games. And he just seems to be playing a little bit better. He even avoided foul trouble. He only had three of them against Kentucky. So um, I, I'm excited to see what Naquan Tomlin does because I feel pretty good about where Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson are uh, right now and everything. Uh, real quick, I want to show you. Uh, I want to show you a, a play here. Um, let me uh, let me let me pull this up. I want to get your reaction uh, to to a certain play right here. Uh, this is this is from uh, the the game on Sunday. Um, tell me what you think after we uh, watch this, and then I'll describe it to the people that are uh, at home listening to this. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Livingston drives, misses the bucket. Desi gets the, the rebound, kicks it out to Marquise, comes down the left side of the floor. Desi cutting hard. Man slips for Kentucky. And Desi, God bless him for uh, for what he tried the, there in that moment. <laughs> but uh, I don't think a dunk was ever going to happen, and the refs bailed him out with a foul call. Uh, when you saw that play, what thought went through your head? As K-State was down six there, 12 minutes into the game, and if he doesn't get a foul call, uh, K-State could be in a very different position. I respected it. I respected it so much because it is uh, – it takes guts to take the ball to the cup like that. It takes a lot of guts to take the ball to the cup like that in a game where a guy named Oscar Sheboy is playing, and it takes a lot of guts to take the ball to the rim like that. Uh when the offense is not going well, but also like the counterpoint to that is what, what did you want him to do? Pull up from three when they were, when they were like <laughs> over nine at that point. I don't know. I maybe, maybe just not go as hard as he did. I, I think that's the one thing to me that I uh, was a little bit uh, impressed by. Uh, but let's, let's just, I mean, <laughs> 
I do respect him for for doing it. And honestly, like that's why Desi is so good for K-State and, and what's made him better. He's playing much smarter than he was earlier in the year. And stuff like this, like the, if you're not going to be able to shoot it, because we know that K-State doesn't have any other guards that can really shoot it um, like Marquise Noel can, then you need to be able to do stuff like this. And number one, he's shown he can finish at the rim. Like he's he's kind of the and one king. He can be acrobatic in the air with it. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to issue a retraction. I'm realizing now that Oscar Sheway wasn't on the floor now. <laughs> actually makes it a more respect, like a, a smarter basketball play. I will just counter though with saying, Desi, use your right hand. You get you got body contact. You're taking a foul from Damian Collins. Lay it in. in. Um I don't know. I've come to really love the way that Desi plays. And like we made a lot of jokes early on in the season yeah. about, oh, he's a winner. He's a big, I don't know what to say about Desi. He's just a winner, but like he, he does just make winning plays. He like does. most of the time when he scores, it is him taking advantage of a team getting back on defense slowly in transition, or it is him being a really good cutter yeah, uh, and, and, and beating a defender backdoor or something and just being on the receiving end or uh, defensively blocking the absolute heck out of somebody. Yes. Like he, he, he goes a hundred percent, uh, 100% of the time. And that is honestly something like when I talk about the game that David Gasson had, like it felt like for the most part, I won't say it was a hundred percent like Desi, but I feel like David Gasson gave 90%, 90% of the time in the game against Kentucky. And if you get that out of him and other guys on this team that don't normally have a specific role, that's really good for K-State. So uh, it's it's a funny play to just watch how it played out uh, with, with Desi, but it, it is also one of those that highlights just kind of how important he is to the team and what he does to make a difference for them. So uh, we can laugh at Desi because in the moment you're just like, what are you doing? Uh, but he got in there. He had free throws, knocked him down, and uh, he he again made winning plays that helped K State win the game because he had twelve in the game against Kentucky, like a very quiet twelve that he had, mainly because six of them came at the free throw line. But he was really good in the game. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I've come to appreciate Desi Sills as well because I don't know if I was super vocal about it, but uh, I was very skeptical about Desi Sills when we first. Uh, heard from him this year and and how that went and how things started for him I was really really strong against him shooting the basketball uh because he just was a bad three-point shooter but he's gotten smart with it now and there are times where even though the percentage isn't great still I am more okay with him shooting it and I think that's also because he's just gotten smarter about it and I think it's helped that he's been able to use this entire season to get acclimated to playing on a good basketball team again where he doesn't have to be one of the main guys. And we've seen just how good Desi Sills can be as a role player. And honestly, like we're seeing the Desi Sills that I think they thought that they were going to get at Arkansas uh, before he transferred to Arkansas State. Yeah. Um, what was his first game as a starter? Was it Iowa State? It was Iowa State, yep, to, yeah, to so snap the losing streak. They are 6-1 and one with him in the starting lineup. Yep. Uh Ignore the West Virginia game because he wasn't there. Uh, six and one since he got inserted into the starting lineup. So, um, like we can we can say all these things of like, oh, they're 
they they're better when he plays well and stuff like that. But like there's legitimate evidence that the rotation being figured out and them just playing him as a starter helps. Um and it's probably the right move because Gasan is limited, but mm-hmm. he's important, if that makes sense. Whereas uh I think Desi has fewer limits to his game. Yeah. Um, another thing to, to watch here, this is a couple of general things on Michigan State real quick uh, before we we cut to uh, our our interview uh, that, that gives you kind of a little bit more insight into uh, the Michigan State side of things because that will be coming up. It'll be uh, very, very nice to hear and everything. So one of the things that is uh, notable about uh, Michigan State, they have not beaten until against Marquette, but they had not beaten in their regular season a team that was rated higher than K-State in Ken Palm. Their best Ken Palm win in the regular season was Maryland, um, which is fascinating. And then they only had five regular season wins against NCAA tournament teams. Now, obviously, they showed up. They beat USC and Marquette. Impressive enough for them to do that. They were able to control the game with USC for most of the second half. uh, And then they were really kind of in control, too, against Marquette. Another thing that I think is important because I've talked about the the turnovers and how Michigan State is bad at forcing team turnovers. They're even worse at forcing actual like steals. So, you know, it's the turnovers is like bad passes thrown out of bounds or travels or whatever. The live ball stuff actually forcing steals, Michigan State is even worse at. If you want another thing that makes you feel good about it, K-State this season is 21 to 0 when they when they assist on 63% of their made buckets or more. 21 and 0. They have obviously been really good at dishing the ball out. They average uh, 63.7% of their made buckets are off of assists, so that's a good number. Michigan State defensively is, if you look at the assisted field goals made, they are 235th in the country. So they will allow some looks to dish the ball out, and that's just another number to make you feel good about uh, what K-State might be able to do against Michigan State. So I think – a lot of this is why I'm feeling so good about K-State going into this weekend, which is probably really stupid. We're probably going to get clubbed in the face uh, for, for, for being high on the Cats. Um, but it really does seem like K-State – I mean, there's a reason why they're a three seed and they're getting ready to play a seven seed. Like, they are better than Michigan State. They've been better all season. They have the better players. And statistically and advanced metrics-wise, the numbers would seem to indicate that K-State is better – than Michigan State, and there's a reason why we should we should believe that. So um, those are uh, some of the final thoughts and final notes on on Michigan State before uh, tomorrow. Uh, any any final thoughts from you, Gabe, on Michigan State and K State? I had in my bracket, I had USC playing K State in this game. Um, the more that I watched on uh, Sunday when Michigan State beat Marquette the more that I realized USC would have done the same thing and Michigan state won that game because Boogie Ellis had his worst game of the season. And like, I don't believe as someone who watched the USC Michigan state game pretty closely. And as someone who watched a lot of PAC 12 basketball this year and watched a lot of USC this year, I don't think that Michigan state did anything in particular, uh, that truly threw Boogie Ellis off. I think he just missed a lot of shots that he typically makes. So 
it might sound simple, but if if Marquise Noel misses a lot of shots that he makes typically, then like Michigan State's gonna win. But but uh, in general, I didn't think that Michigan State did anything particularly special, uh, even though their adjusted defensive efficiency is top thirty five in the country. I would just say K State's is better. Uh, K-State should be able to uh, – it makes me confident with the way that K-State guarded the perimeter against Kentucky and put pressure on ball handlers who were bigger than them that they will be able to put pressure on guards who are a lot closer to their size. Tyson Walker and Jade Nakins are a lot closer in size to Marquise Noel and Desi Sills than Cason Wallace – and Chris Livingston and Antonio Reeves are. Uh, so that is a positive for K-State. I, I I think the matchups are particularly great for K-State that uh, Keontae Johnson, if he gets Joey Hauser on switches, should be in like Carmelo Anthony at the garden mode. Like it should be go to work, go to work, dude. Um I feel I feel really good about this for K State. I think that the matchups work well, and I honestly think the only reason Michigan State is favored is because of the dude on the other sideline or the other end of the sideline. Yeah. Like Tom Izzo gets a lot of respect. It makes sense. I understand it, but my my brain, my basketball brain says all of the formula all of the numbers, everything like it, it just, it points to K state being the better team. Also they've been the better team all season long. They've got the better t- numbers. And I just think if you want to go by Tang's words, like they've got, they've got better dudes. Yeah. So as long as those dudes show up, uh, they should be good. Yeah. I mean, Tom Izzo, Mr. Fraud. If you're Mr. March, might want to win the thing they call March Madness more than once and have done it, you know, more recently than 2000. He's a lot better than his peers in that league. That's that is true. Very, very true. Uh, so that will, that will do it for this portion of the show. We will now throw to the interview that Alec and I did with Carter Elliott. Uh, he covers Michigan state for the Michigan state rival side, as well as uh, a member of the field of 68 and sleepers media. And he uh, very plugged into the Spartans he very clearly loves his Spartans, but also very well educated on Michigan State and the game of basketball at large. So uh, take a listen to that. Get up to date on Michigan State. And uh, then we'll be back to wrap things up here uh, right uh, on the Email Online podcast with Gabe and I. All right. We now welcome on Carter Elliott. He is from our Michigan State Rivals site, but he also does some contributing work for the Field of 68 and Sleepers Media, which is something I'm a huge fan of. Does good work with Greg Waddell over there, G Wizzy on Twitter. But Carter, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. How are you doing this morning? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm already uh, nerves are already setting in for Thursday. It's Tuesday right now, so that I'm within that point where I start to get real nervous for this game. But uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Thanks for having me on, guys. So I guess the first question I've got for you: uh, Michigan State comes into the NCAA tournament, um, not maybe expected to make it to the Sweet 16, and then Tom Izzo does the Tom Izzo thing, the Mr. March thing that. A lot of people maybe expected him to do and makes a run to the Sweet 16 by upsetting Marquette um, and beating USC in the round of 64. Can you just kind of take me into um, what you think really led to Sparty making another run to the Sweet 16? 
Well, I mean, a big part of that credit, I think, goes to Tom Izzo. Um, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but as far as, like, Michigan State teams and, like, talent-wise, this is not Tom Izzo's, like, most talented team by any means. Um, I mean, w- when you look at a lot of draft boards and things like that, there's no NBA players on this team. There's no first-team all-Big Ten guys on this team it's just a group of guys who kind of really embody what Izzo is trying to like get across. And then he's got guys that are old. He's got guys that are old, that guys want to hoop. Uh, Tyson Walker is a guy who's become a go-to guy for us. Um, and people kind of just, they, the team has really embodied what coach Izzo has kind of been about. And uh, I think we've also taken advantage of, I think you guys know, like the NCAA tournament, as much as people don't want to say, sometimes it's about draw. And at least for me, when I was looking at this draw, like it, it looked pretty, you know, pretty good for us. I mean, Purdue was the one seed in our region. Obviously, we saw what happened to them. Um, you guys were able to take care of Kentucky, a, a typical blue blood team. And, you know, we faced a team in Shaka Smart with how as good as Shaka has been. The last time before they beat Vermont, the last time Shaka Smart won a tournament game was years and years and years ago. So, you know, sometimes it's about draw, but at the same time, you got to be able to show up and hoop. And, you know, we had guys that even if we're not making shots, we're making enough plays down the stretch and getting enough stops to win basketball games, which is, you know, good to see. Looking at Michigan State, one of the things that that worries me uh, from a standpoint of having seen what we saw from K-State this year is how good Michigan State has shot it from three. Um, K-State only saw one team in the Big 12 that shot over 35%. Uh, this season, Kentucky was would have been the second best three point shooting team in the Big 12 this year. They got kind of lucky. Antonio Reeves just decided to miss everything on uh, yeah. Sunday. What's kind of the style and philosophy that comes with Michigan State deciding to take the three? Like, what are we looking at volume wise? How quick are they to pull the trigger? Stuff like that that kind of gives, I guess, a better look into how K State should be prepared to defend Michigan State from beyond the three point line. Yeah, so as a team, Michigan State's not the most athletic. Uh, They're not the tallest and, you know, got the measurables and things like that. So we struggle as a a team, like, at the rim. Like, we struggle at the rim. Uh, Tyson Walker's probably our best finisher at the rim, and he's the smallest, you know, guy on our team. Uh, So we got to find another way to get shots up, and a lot of times those shots are three-pointers. So – we do a really good job of running great half-court sets to get open shots and get penetration, uh, using pick and rolls to get shots for guys. And then guys are just knocking them down at an unreal clip this year. I mean, uh, the least coming into the tournament last time I checked, I think we were number six in the country in three-point percentage. Uh, and that comes with, uh, I think, three or four guys shooting over 40%. I mean, Joey Hauser, who shoots it at a high clip, is shooting close to 47% from three-point range, which is absolutely ridiculous. Jay Nakins had a stretch in the season. I mean, he's over 40 now easily, but there was also a time where he was shooting at late Big Ten play like 50% from three, and that was on like three or four attempts a game. And then you have Tyson Walker as well. So we just we, we have a, a lot of good three-point shooters who get a lot of shots up. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen that in the first two games of the tournament. I don't know how that bodes for you guys because eventually we're going to have to knock down threes. I don't know if it's going to start against you guys. I hope it does. But, uh, yeah, we just – they have a system where they, you know, they get them up. And we know we got a lot of guys that can shoot it. So, uh, you got to let it fly to make it. 
Carter, when you look at um, this Michigan State team, I think a lot of people coming into the year in the Big Ten world were looking at that backcourt of Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard um, as probably the best in the Big Ten. And I feel like at the end of the year, a lot of people maybe weren't saying that. Do you think that that group was still one of the best in the Big Ten? And what's the value of Jaden Akins being in that rotation consistently? Because he's battled injuries a lot this year, and you talked about his shooting there at the end. Yeah, Jaden Jaden got off to the slow start because of that foot injury that he had. He had a stress fracture in the summer, right before, literally right before practice started, right when practice started. So he basically lost a good amount of his preseason. So he was kind of a little bit slower to come along, kind of had to find his role, his niche. But um, you know, you keep throwing the best backcourt in the Big Ten around. I don't think people obviously you want to be the best backcourt in the Big Ten, but you know, realistically. You look at Penn State, Jalen Pickett, to me, should have been a first-team All-American in my eyes, uh, and him alone probably had the best backcourt in the Big Ten to me. And then you got the 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 upcoming of Boo Booey and Chase Audige and the revolution the that took place that took place at um, Northwestern, which is crazy to me. So there was a lot of good backcourts, honestly, in the Big Ten that I didn't really see having that great of a year. Um, now in their own right, AJ Hogarth and Tyson Walker are pretty good themselves. AJ Hogarth can sometimes be a roller coaster ride. Um, but you know, Tyson Walker has been one of our most consistent players this year, averaging just like over 14 points a game, being our closer and being that guy. Like, I think in March and to win, you got to have a guy down the stretch. Like, speaking to you guys, you got Noel, like, that's a guy, Keontae Johnson, that's a guy, and not like a you got to run a set for him. That's a it's four minutes left in the game. It's a tie game. Let's roll the ball out. And I got a better player than you. Let's let him go score. Like Tyson Walker is that guy for us. So having that is key down the stretch because when you don't have it, and I don't mean to harp on it too much, but like down the stretch, what was Purdue doing? They didn't know what to do. It was a tie game and they were struggling, trying to throw it in Zach Eady and they're quadruple teaming them. And Braden Smith, Foster Lawyer, and Mason Gillis like just tightened up. They didn't know what to do. So being able to have that guy down the stretch to make shots for you is huge. And, you know, we had that in Tyson Walker. I think it's uh, interesting to look. You mentioned Michigan State not having knockdown shots really yet. They're, I think, 7 of 30 through their first two games from three. Uh, K-State is only shooting 25% from three in their first two tournament games. They were pretty bad in Greensboro. So it feels like something has to give there. And then you mentioned Marquise Noel. Uh, obviously, he's been on a tear and what spurred this was you talking about Jalen Pickett. Um, obviously, Jalen Pickett has quite the size advantage on Marquise Noel, but style of play-wise, they're going to be fairly similar where they're going to shoot the ball from anywhere. They're going to dish out the ball like crazy. Um, how has Michigan State fared defensively this year against a guy like Jalen Pickett or some of the other uh, what you would classify as top-tier guards in the Big Ten? Yeah, Jalen Pickett's kind of in a class of his own just because he's like 6'6". He's like 6'6", yeah. and he plays uh, – the, the term that Coach Underwood said at Big Ten Media Day was booty ball, where he just backs you down and literally backs you down all the way down to the middle. If you're going to come, he kicks out for a three. If you don't, he's going to lay it up. But one thing that we do have is we got pretty good guard play defensively. Jay Nakins has been sensational this tournament. As far as guarding people, AJ Hogarth, even in his own right, has been sensational. You know, we were able to shut down Boogie Ellis. We were able to shut down Tyler Kolick, you know, Biggie's player of the year. Um, so we have guys that they they compete defensively and they really get after it. 
And, you know, Noel's going to get his. He he is. I, I feel like that's going to happen. I'd actually like to get your guys' thoughts on Noel because I did watch a lot of Kansas State basketball this year, and it seems like he can kind of be feast or famine sometimes. Like, because he tries to make the really good play, the really good pass, they'll have some games that are just like, you know, a lot of turnovers. But sometimes you play through that. I feel like Kansas State plays through that in general. But, yeah, it's, it's a situation where we have guys that take the challenge, whether it be Jay Nakins, A.J. Hogard. Uh, Tyson Walker for what you know for his small stature extremely quick hands and very competitive defensively like you don't want to play with the ball around him he'll definitely take it so I think we got some guys we can throw at him um, I'm honestly more scared of the Keontae Johnson matchup because we play Jay Nakins at the three Jay Nakins is 6'3 uh, he's competitive he's a great defender but I know Keontae Johnson is 6'6 six, six, and he's built like a bull so I'm I'm more scared of that matchup and what we're going to do there <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think we got enough guards defensively that will be able to compete and kind of get after it to take their shot at Noel. A.J. Gohard going to go hard defensively or what? And we'll see. I uh, mean, A.J. is just – he's – you never know. You might get A.J. from the first two games. You might get A.J. from Big Ten tournament where he's literally on the bench disrespecting his coach, and it was the worst look of all time that I've seen. So I've, I've said it many a times um, with Greg on our Sleepers podcast – we need AJ to find the middle. It's it's we don't need him to play out of his mind great, but we can't have these games where he is letting his play determine his effort and his body language because he's our point guard. Whether he's our he's not our best player, but AJ is probably our most important player because I think people feed off him. And if he has bad body language and his effort is off, which has happened sometimes during this year, it it sends a ripple effect throughout the team and we don't play as well. So him kind of finding that average, that middle, is is what we need out of him. I think that'll help our our team kind of reach its uh, reach its ceiling. Carter, when I think back to the summer months and Coach Izzo and his lack of interest, I guess you could say, in going to the transfer portal to add, a, in my opinion, what was a big need for this team in the front court. I actually think it maybe ended up working out all right for them in the long run, considering the depth they've been able to develop with Sissoko Cola or and Cooper in the front court. But do you feel like that those three players give Michigan State enough in the front court, not just specifically in this matchup, but really over the course of the entire season? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's twofold for me, I feel like. I feel like Izzo, uh, just his personality, he wants to be like, no, you got to shut up. I don't need a center. I'm going to roll yeah. with the guys I got. I'll be okay. And that's that's worked out to this point, and that's good. But also, I still think it's fair to say you add a you add a center, a, a starting caliber center to this team. Like I think Madi's played great, but I would love to have Madi in a bench role. Like in a normal year, for as good as Carson Cooper has been in some minutes, like showing energy and stuff like that, Carson Cooper wouldn't play really. I think it'd be more so of like maybe even a red shirt. I think he even talked about having a red shirt coming into this year. But obviously, Madi's made some big plays. He's made enough plays. Mati's also killed us at times during this year. So it's it's more of a situation where he's developed and it's worked out up until this point. But at the same time, you want to picture maybe like, what would this team look like if we had one of those centers that came out of the portal? Like, what if they had a, a Johnny, a Jahani Broom? What if they had a, a, a Manny Bates, a Jalen Thomas? I'm just spinning some centers here. I mean, damn, even in Northwest, I would have took Ryan Young from Northwestern. Like, having – maybe more of a starting caliber type center probably would have raised the team because we don't have one post player right now that we can throw it into to go get a bucket. 
Like we can throw it in Jackson Kohler, but he I don't think he's necessarily ready. He's able to get some buckets, but at the same time, he's a six eight freshman center. Like it, it's a different level of basketball at this point. So um it would be nice to have a post presence we can throw it into, but at the same time, Coach Izzo is gonna do what he wants to do and get it done. And you know, he he, he got us to the sweet sixteen, so I'm not gonna complain. One uh one thing that that I, I kind of think about here. You talk about uh, Sissoko and and what his role maybe should be versus what it has to be. K State has a lot of players that are like that. Really, after you get past Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, um, the, the the next six or seven guys that are going to see action, you're more than likely not going to get anything out of them. So you're just crossing your fingers that, that today's the day that they decide to kind of be able to, to knock down some shots. Um, obviously, Ish Masood did that, hit the big one against Kentucky. Uh, how many guys on Michigan State's roster, for you personally, when they go into the game, are you like, uh, I don't like this? Or maybe they're starters that, that, that have to be out there where you're just very skeptical because I, I want to get a gauge of where both teams sit for being this far into the tournament now, Sweet 16, for having guys on your roster that have to play serious minutes that – most people probably are still very unsure of, and you're not going to get anything out of really. Yeah. So right now we have, I would say four guys that every single game are pretty consistent on getting their numbers. You got Hogard, you got Aikens, uh, Tyson Walker, Joey Hauser, Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser being the two most consistent players out of those two. Jay Nakins can kind of waver a little bit. Hogard can kind of waver a little bit, but Every single game, I can count on Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser getting theirs, playing their role, and playing consistently. Outside of that, it gets a little more uh, sketchy, like you like to say. Like we don't know what we're gonna get from Madi every game. Like we're not gonna, we're not sure if he's gonna catch the ball. We're not sure if he's gonna be able to, you know, finish and do things. Uh, as of late, Malik Hall is a is a wild card. Um, since he's came back from injury, I, I just still don't think he's completely healthy. He just doesn't look the same. Got a little bit of a hitch in his jumper, just seems indecisive at times. And he's just not the player that I've seen him when he's had runs these past couple years. He's always struggled to find consistency um, in his game, but I, I truly think that he's not 100% healthy this year. So uh, who knows what happens if we do get – we haven't really got a Malik Hall game, like, you know, that game in a while. Uh, but I, I truly think it's because he's not healthy. So outside of those two, those two to three guys, basically the backcourt and then Joey Hauser – it's really a toss up on what we're going to get. Like us getting uh, eight points and 10 rebounds on Amadi last game definitely struck me as uh, by surprise. And him getting those blocks also struck me by surprise. So it was, it was, it was a welcomed addition to the team for sure. You talked about Malik Hall there. Um, to me, he's kind of been the biggest X factor for this Michigan State program. I think you can even say the last couple of years expected him to take a jump and then. He unfortunately deals with some injury issues. But earlier you said this is a team that doesn't have a lot of athleticism. He's someone who does have it. And I think he's someone who could potentially be a good matchup for Keontae Johnson, given his size, given his experience at the college level and experience in the NCAA tournament for that matter. Um, where's he at health-wise? I know you said that you don't think he's 100% healthy, but he's been playing through stuff for most of the season at this point. And he's really important to them because he gives them – kind of a matchup issue as someone at, at six foot eight, six foot seven, 220, 230 pounds. That's pretty thick, kind of built like Keontae Johnson that can mm-hmm. step out and shoot it a little bit, can defend a couple of positions on the defensive side. Yeah. I mean, on paper, like when I was going through the matchups and I was like, 
who would we want to put on Keontae Johnson? I was like, Aikens and them, they're good, but they're way too small. Like, that's he's going to be able to expose them. Malik Hall would be that player that we would put on him. I think that he would be able to match him physically and athletically. But the thing is, and I can't confirm this, this is all just me watching, and, you know, I've watched a lot of Malik Hall uh, in his career, and he just doesn't look right to me. Like, it, it just seems like something's, something's bothering him. Maybe it's whether he can't get back in a rhythm. And what he would give us defensively, unfortunately, offensively, as of late, he hasn't been able to really give us much. He's kind of been indecisive. He's over dribbling at times. Uh, he's a really good player when he just decides, like, okay, I catch it on the wing. I'm going to shoot the three. If I'm not shooting the three, I got two to three dribbles to make my move, get to the hoop. Anything out of two and three dribbles, it's usually leading to a bad shot or a turnover. So it, it it's – Honestly, it's going to be big for Malik to step up this game. I don't know if he, how he's going to get the opportunity or what's it going to look like. I know Coach Izzo trusts him, but uh, the only good thing we got going for us is that over Malik Hall's career, he has a knack of having two to three bad games and then having one game where you're like, why was this guy not an all-Big Ten player like all four years? So will that game come? Who knows? We'll see. But uh, like last game against Marquette, um, he, he he had two good moves early on, and then after that, a lot of over dribbling, a lot of overthinking on shots. Uh, the the three pointer just didn't look that great; it looked like it had a hitch. So, uh, you know, we're it's, we really got to take it game by game and see what happens with Malik. But him stepping up in this game will be huge uh, defensively, of course, because I think, like you said, having him on Keontae Johnson will be like, the only physical kind of matchup we can get. Last question for me. Um, if Tom Izzo is Mr. March, how, how come he hasn't won the NCAA tournament since 2000? Ah, well, I mean, you gotta have, you gotta have a certain amount of things go your way. You gotta have a certain amount of things go your way. Draw is important. Mr. March uh, has got 23 years without things going his way. Yeah. Hey, you know, Hey, you've never really, Hey, we, he's Mr. March, not Mr. You know, championship, you know, he's got to win some games in March. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but if you call something March madness and somebody is Mr. March, you'd think he'd win it a little bit more. Yeah, true. I, I definitely, you know, but he's, you know, it's not easy to make it to Final Fours. He, you know, hey, he, went well, to the, let's see. He, he went to the Final Four in 2019. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, other than that, he's, he's, he's not made it out of the first week in five of the last six years. That's true. That's, I mean, that's, hey, we had, we had a couple of down years. We're back. Has Kansas State ever been to a Final Four? They've been to four of them, just not when? since like the 60s. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been in the Final Four since everyone in this call has been alive. But, but, no. hey, but, but nobody calls K State. State, you know, team that, march or whatever. That's true. That's true. That's true. The, I, I think the Mr. March stigma, though, thing is like just you don't want to see Tom Izzo and March necessarily. Like, this isn't his best team, yet we're in the Sweet 16. Like, he's like Jim Bay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like you just don't want to see that guy in. Oh, don't say Jim Bay. I'm around me. Good Lord. He, <laughs> Syracuse ruined one of the most talented state teams of all time, and it still kills me. To this day, and oh god, I don't even want to think about it. But I, it, it, the the Mr. Marsh thing—it's it's funny because I have this thing with like Michigan State's fan base that I go back and forth on because we'll lose during the regular season, and I'll be upset, and I'll be I'll be I'll be upset with us losing games, and someone will tweet me or someone will uh, just tell me, "Oh, just wait till March." I'm like, no, I don't want to wait until March. Like, I'm <laughs> we just lost. We just we, we almost just lost to Nebraska at home. Like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, I'm not, I don't want to wait until March. But, you know, at the same time, when you go across the country, and I feel like if you ask coaches and they're like, what's a list of coaches you probably don't want to play in March? 
I think Tom Izzo will kind of fall into that that mode. But I, I do agree, having a championship would solidify the Mr. March thing. But you know, Final Fours and Elite Eights and things like that count as well. They're all important, and I, all he important. goes on runs. I just I've always you know the, the Mr. March thing. I'm like I don't know. We've had like how many coaches over the last X amount of years that have won multiple? Like you know. Yeah, I know it, it's just, it's a stigma. It's a stigma <laughs> thing. I think especially because like I guess uh, I don't know. Like it, when we had like a couple former players on, they're like. Izzo just has a different aura around him when it's March 1st. And it's just like, it's just different with his mindset and how he's locked in he is. And I, yeah, who, who knows? It's pretty, I'm, I'm not really on board with the Mr. March thing as much as others, but uh, I, I do love my ball coach. So he's like, he's like the anti John Calipari. K-State goes from seeing the guy that likes to win like the summertime. And then now they get the guy that just actually likes to win the thing that's important. Yeah, like even outside, I mean, you just don't want to – it's a guy you don't want to see in March. Like there's some coaches that I'd be fine with seeing in March. Like outside of this year, like obviously Rick Barnes is in the Sweet 16 this year. But before that, like no one's scared of Rick Barnes. Uh, no one's scared of Brad Underwood. Like that's 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 what it is. They don't make it to the second weekend. So there's – Yeah, no one's, scared, no one's scared of Matt Painter. And that's crazy because I love Matt Painter. Like Matt Painter is one of the best, best X's and O's coaches – just ball coaches in general. It's sad that, you know, he wins a Big Ten regular season title and a Big Ten tournament title and then loses to the shortest team in Division One basketball who plays in a high school gym. Like, that's crazy. But, you know, that that's that's what March is. It's it's different. It's hard to win in March. Not every team can do it. Real quick, Carp, before we get out of here, um, I'm a Big Ten guy. You know that. Um, mm-hmm. You're obviously a Big Ten person at heart. When you look at the struggles the Big Ten has now had in three straight NCAA tournaments, um, not getting more than one or two teams to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, um, and no teams in each of the last two Final Fours, despite having some high-seeded teams, some one-seeds, what do you think it is? Because I'm of the belief that it's a style of play thing, and it's something that comes down to the Big Ten playing basketball like it's still the 1980s and 1990s, and the rest of the country um, kind of adopting to a more modern style of play. And coming to the Big 12 and covering Kansas State this past season and seeing the way a lot of Big 12 programs play um, on the defensive side, on the offensive side, there's not a lot of consistency across the league and how everyone plays and they all kind of do their own thing. But in the Big 10, you know, everyone kind of does the same thing. It's very post-entry, turnaround, hook shot, off the glass, two points, let's go back and play defense and let's not switch, let's play drop coverage. And I think that has a lot to do with the struggles that the Big Ten's had in the NCAA tournament. Um, but what is your opinion on it? And what can the league do maybe to find more success in the NCAA tournament? Because the meme is getting old for people, I think, <laughs> across the country that the Big Ten has no success in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's, it's getting old for me. It's I, I, I can, like, Listen, I'm, my I'm, program <laughs> hasn't made it to the Sweet 16 since 2005. So it's it's real old for me. Man, I bet. You know what? Like outside of obviously I mentioned it earlier, like draw is important. It really is like people overlook that sometimes. Sometimes the matchups just don't go your way. A lot of it's having some type of, I don't know, luck or play with your draw. But outside of that, it really is a style of play thing. Everything in the Big Ten is so centered around beating other Big Ten teams. And to beat other Big Ten teams, you need a post player, a, a gaudy yeah. post player that you throw the ball into, you give it time to time, and you do these things. And that just doesn't – that style does not translate to March. I think uh, – and I'm actually stealing this from my co-host Greg on this one because I think he put it pretty perfectly. 
Big Ten teams are so worried about winning the Big Ten and beating each other. Like, that's all they're doing. They're formulating their team to win the Big Ten, to beat the likes of Purdue and things like that. They're not formulating a team to win in March. And in March, it comes down to guard play at the end of the day. Having a good post player is good, but you're going to need guard play in March. And you're going to need guys that are able to take over games. And that's why, like, when I was coming into this, when I was filling out my bracket, like, the Big Ten teams that I had, like, maybe having to make a run was the, was the Penn State's. Because Penn State's style of play is completely different from everyone in the Big Ten. And that's why it gave so many people in the Big Ten problems, especially in the Big Ten tournament. Like, they, they gave people problems. Northwestern, guard play. They had guys that guard play and shoot the ball. Michigan State, we don't really have a post player. I mean, we have Madi, but we're not throwing it into him. So we rely heavily on our guard play. So you got to be able to have guards in March to win. Um, and the thing is, I don't know if any, I don't know what's going to change the Big Ten style of play. That's that's the thing because Matt Painter is going to continue to recruit seven foot five dudes to the end of time, and everyone across the Big Ten is going to see that, and they'll be like, "We got to stop that guy. Let's go get another tall center. Let's go play this certain amount of game." So I don't really know what what's it going to take to kind of change that. I mean, I, credit to Penn State and Coach Shrewsbury. I think he kind of changed that narrative this year. But, I mean, with everything that's been going on, he's probably not going to be at Penn State next year. So no. right right back right back to square one, throw it into the post, you know, shooting on the peach basket style basketball for the to the end of time. <laughs> and, and we'll continue to lose in March, which is which is bad vibes for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not. Well, and I just think, like, Mason, for example, is like a Big 12 guy, right? And he – I think a lot of other conferences enjoy like making fun of the big 10 at this time of the year, but it's starting to get old where like you turn into March madness live or March madness tonight after all the games are done. And every single night they're talking about this many big 10 teams are gone. And it's like, I kind of want different analysis at this point. And that's what it is for me. And I'm also mad at the big 10. Like I, if, if any big 10 people hear this, I'm mad. Like why? I feel like Michigan state, Michigan, um, are like the two teams that got to carry this team to get into the second weekend. Like Purdue was able to get in last year, but I'm looking at the rest of the conference. Like Purdue, you're the national player of the year. Find a way, man. Like find a way to be fairly dig. Find a way to get to that second round mm-hmm. and see what happens. Indiana, don't lay over and die against Miami. Like, come on. You got Trace Jackson Davis. You got this great team and you just basically lay down and die and don't try to fight back and get punched in the mouth multiple times and have no type of fight back. Illinois, I'm not necessarily that mad at. Arkansas has got a a backcourt full of NBA players, but also at the same time, show some fight. All right. You're making the big 10, you're making the big 10 look bad. So I need everyone to step up. Um, I'm looking at Michigan state too, even though we're in the second weekend, I need them to get back to, you know, we're getting a couple of McDonald's all Americans this year, the state of Michigan, basically has to carry the Big Ten, and I'm sick of it. I need other teams to step up. Well, maybe they will do that. And you stepped up coming on the pod for us today, and we appreciate that. So oh, thanks for doing that for us. And will I see you in New York? Uh, I will not be in New York. I will be mentally preparing here. Um, I struggle with watching games in person. I don't know. I can't do it, especially especially if I got my media credentials because, uh, you know, there's a certain media role like stigma you got to fit into. <laughs> and I'll tell you right now, Jaden Akins is in the transition and he puts one on Tomlin's head. I'm not going to be quiet. OK, I will be I will be <laughs> screaming. So I I, ch- I choose for the betterment of, you know, make, keeping up the image. I got to you know, lay low. 
Yeah, we we, we were uh, we were held pretty honest this week. We were directly behind Ian Eagle and Jim Spinarkle, so we were on our best behavior uh, okay. to not be caught by uh, the why, cameras. Why, while no, why Noel was doing all that, you were trying to keep it together out because I was losing it. I think the couch. I think the entire game, I I was just holding my hands tight and getting sweaty <laughs> palms and everything because yeah, I can keep I can keep it in pretty good, but it's all bouncing around all, all over the inside of me. Alec asked me after the game, he's like, "Is that a game that like?" you would rather like watch at home or be there for as like, I actually just kind of prefer to be there. Cause I can, I can kind of keep myself like outwardly uh, down a little bit, but inside, Smart. like it's, 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 it's a mess. Cause you know, I I've been, I mean, I've, I've been covering K state since uh, I was a sophomore in college. They're working for the, the radio station in Manhattan and, and everything. So I I've been able to wash most of that fan stuff away, but they're my school. They're the team that I've watched since I was young. Like I, I, I will always want to see them do well. And like these games do still mean something to me. And I'm right. not ashamed to admit that. Hey, and that's how, and that's how it should be. And I'm just glad that both of us are in the second weekend and Kansas is at home, by the way, Kansas, Iowa state, Missouri, the three schools that I think we might hate the most in Manhattan are all sitting on their couch, having to watch K state in the sweet 16. That's gotta feel good. Absolutely. When uh, we'll get you a Michael Beasley Jersey to throw back there. You need oh, a little please. Beasley cat scratch behind you. Oh, Michael Beasley probably. Uh, it's between Beasley and Jacob Pullen, but it's one of okay. those two. Yeah. Honestly, it might be Keontae Johnson. Now, if you want to, if you guys want to send me any K State gear, please do. Those light purple like zip up things. Top five, uh, top five gear in college you basketball and, this year. You and Kansas Alex State. Mom both want those. Man, those things are. Whew, those things are fire. I got a text from my mom in the Big Twelve tournament. Where do I get one of those purple? jumpsuits the players are wearing on the bench i was like go to nike's website center a link she's like no i don't want to pay for it like, <laughs> i mean then i don't know where you want where you want to i don't, know, I don't know what you want from me then yeah I, I, what, what do you think i have connections to k-state's apparel team like no I, i'm not that plugged in like i can't just oh, get free man. free stuff so but yeah funny anyway card thanks for coming on appreciate it and uh thanks for all the good conversation and good insight on michigan state but yeah appreciate you guys that was Alec and I's interview with Carter Elliott. Uh, good look at everything that's going on with Michigan State. You can decipher there uh, how much you, you think is true, how much you think isn't, because uh, obviously we're all going to have our own personal spin on it. He's going to have his Michigan State spin that maybe tells him, hey, uh, this, is, this is a good thing. And uh, I obviously have my K-State spin that tells me it's a good thing. Um, but look, I, I've been around K-State basketball uh, for quite a while now in my life. Uh, let's see, I turned 25 in two weeks. So for almost 25 years, I've been around K-State basketball. There's only been one other time that I felt like I, that I felt really optimistic about what K-State was going to do. And it was when Dean Wade had his reverse jam on Brady Manick to clinch the Big 12 title in 2019. And I sat back in my chair behind the basket at Bramlage Coliseum and for the first time ever, I said to myself, holy crap, K-State's going to play in the Final Four this year. I truly believed it. Little did I know on that same play, Dean Wade broke his foot. Uh, and so K-State did not go to the Final Four that year. They didn't even win a game in that NCAA tournament. However, I do think K-State is in a position this year where they have the dudes, they are healthy, and I really do think with the way that this bracket has played out for them, um, get past Michigan State and you've got either Tennessee or Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic shouldn't be there. And Tennessee, 
I don't know. At some point, they're not going to score the ball enough to win four games in a row in March, and I, they may have a tough time with K-State. And I told myself, if K-State got past Kentucky, they could have beaten Marquette. Marquette scared me, but now it's not Marquette. Kentucky is the best team K-State will have to face until they'd have to play Alabama in the Final Four. K-State should be able to get this done. I really do actually believe that it's going to happen, um, which is crazy to think about because I've not felt good about anything. I mean, anytime you grow up around something or you're a fan or associated, you try to tell yourself all the reasons why it's not going to happen. And for one of the very few times in my life, I can absolutely see why this is going to happen for K-State. Uh, and and I'm, I'm fully bought in and I fully anticipate this time next week uh, a lot of people in purple getting ready to travel down to Houston for the Final Four. So with that being the, the premise or the expectation, I guess, um, my question to you then would be, what is what is disaster mode look like? Like what is the what is the way that K-State loses this game in which we walk away from this, K-State fans walk away from this going like, what in the world were they thinking? Like what would the process be where where you're not just like, oh, we got good shots. They got good shots. They just made more shots than us. Like what is yeah. process-wise, what would frustrate you most if you're a K-State fan? Because I I think I have my answer, uh, but I want to hear what you think. I think I think the, the scary thing that kind of stands out to me um, is if we, we, we look at how the season has gone and certain things play out, um, the two scenarios that I think you put them together, you get the worst case for K-State is – the game starts up. Keontae Johnson picks up one bad foul early in like the first minute or something. And you go, okay, whatever. Just a foul game's getting started. And then however many seconds later, he picks up an offensive foul on the other end and Keontae Johnson's immediately in foul trouble. Like we're talking two fouls in the first half. Maybe he sits or Jerome Tang did play him in the first half with two fouls over the weekend in Greensboro. And he, he did a good job of managing it, but he picks up that third, and so you have to sit him. And then at that point, Marquise Noel is on an island, most likely, because we talked about somebody could step up and have one of those games where you just shoot lights out and, and whatever. But it's more likely that Cam Carter's not going to hit shots for you. Desi's not a good enough shooter. And so Michigan State just has to pack that lane and make sure that whoever's on Noel just don't give him any space, which leads to Marquise pressing a little bit in New York City, and he has one of those high turnover games that it's not just he turns the ball over with, you know, whatever else that happens. It's really bad live ball turnovers at midcourt where it's a weak pass or he gets his pocket picked and it's easy fast break points for Michigan State. That to me is the way that I see this thing spiraling is that Keontae Johnson isn't of any service early because he's taking himself out of the game with fouls. There's too much on Noel's plate. He forces it too much, or he's he just can't totally do what he wants. And Michigan State is kind of able to to get up and pull away early. I mean, very similar to like K State never really had a chance against Loyola in 2018. Like they let Loyola get out to a big enough lead, and because you're looking at a team that didn't really have a ton of guys that could just go score at will. Like Barry Brown had that in him, but it was really only him. And then you're reliant on other guys hitting shots around you. That, to me, is the thing that stands out that I would be uh, most worried about, and I think that makes sense. I don't think that's just like, a, oh, everything's going Michigan State's way. No, K-State would do some of that to themselves 
and really hurt them because like that's what happened to K-State against Loyola. K-State was 6 of 26 from 3 in that game against Loyola. Mike McGraw was 0 of 5. Kamal Stokes was 1 of 6 in the game. Um, and Barry Brown was 0 of 4. So like that's kind of how things played out in that game for K-State and they just never gave themselves a chance. So that to me is is how I see it. I, I don't know which way you, you view it coming out. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, because I've – I was so impressed with the rotation on Sunday that I will say it would be, and I know that it, I know that the two possessions that Bebe was in for were just so bad that it was an immediate yank. And it was just such an immediate, like he's just not the answer for Oscar. Like it just, nope, nope. Like not happening today. I understand that that was, uh, it was probably so bad that it forced the hand, but like, Nothing on Michigan State is going to force your hand into not playing him. Nothing – Matty Sissoko is not doing anything in one play that is going to make Jerome Tang be like, nah, can't play him. And and that's why I'm saying they have to have the staff control, uh, not to be mean to anybody, but just to realize, like, ride with the guys who got you here. Ride with your best hands. And don't force yourself into asking eight guys to play 10 plus minutes, nine guys to play six plus minutes. Because when you do that and you you go to a bigger bench on a team that doesn't necessarily always get the most consistent bench play, when you do that, you're inviting more variables. So I would say, barring just an absurdly bad performance of any sort from Gasan or cam carter it does not need to be a tyke green game and it does not need to be a bay bay game uh don't do that to yourself don't force yourself into playing more than seven guys and just let the results play out as they as they may um and and go from there and then the other the other thing i would just say is uh in a game where there will be low low variance the nightmare to me would be what was happening mid first half when you get yourself into a spot where there's too much of Keontae Johnson fading from the hoop. I know it's, I know that statistically he is better at the shot than a lot of people are, but he has an athletic advantage against Joey Hauser. And he has in my mind, either an athletic advantage or it's just about equal against Malik Hall. The message needs to be to, to Keontae, like take the ball to the cup, do it under control because I know that every once in a while he drops his shoulder and he for- gets an offensive foul off of it. But like, go up strong, go against them. Don't force yourself away from the hoop. Don't make it easier for them to guard you than it should be because they should have trouble guarding you. Um, so I, I would just worry that he, I would worry about way too much settling, settling for okay shots and not hunting great shots if that's uh if that makes sense yeah no i i I totally agree with that i i will be disappointed and it may not it it may be a bad sign i think at one point tomorrow night you should if you're a k-state fan you should want to see and need to see one of those plays where Keontae is able to get past the guy on the baseline and just kind of slide and kind of glide to the basket and have one of the dunks where he's on either side of the rim and just easily flushes it. But it was kind of that moment where you go, 
you're just more athletic than that guy. You're a more skilled basketball player. You got by him. You finish with ease. You get down. You go to the other floor and play defense. Like I think that we should see something like that uh, at some point in the game tomorrow for K-State. And if that doesn't happen at least once with a guy like Keontae, um, I would be a little bit concerned that Michigan State's getting to dictate the game a little too much. I also think um, that all the things that K-State's going to face here, they're so fortunate to have a guy that was, even though he wasn't a head coach, a guy that was an assistant coach for as long as he was, to have seen everything you need to see in the NCAA tournament. Like, drum tang at Baylor, not only is it that he saw it on that bench with Scott Drew, but he was there long enough and got to such a high position and was so well thought of. Like, he had decision-making power in these games for Baylor. It wasn't just him sitting there and being the yes-man Orlando Antigua style for Coach Cal. Um, I think that, like, that's beneficial to where he can keep these guys ready for whatever's coming their way. And I think we saw that um, against Kentucky. Like, I talked about how bad Kentucky was at, at forcing turnovers. At one point early in the game, K-State had turned the ball over on 20% of their possessions, which was close to five points higher than what Kentucky had done the entire season. So they just needed to settle down, get a reset, and Jerome Tang didn't try to overcoach the game, I don't think. Uh, I think he handled it well. I think going into this game, like he's not going to be worried about facing Izzo, and he's not going to be worried about anything that his team faces. And I think that's something that we see with um, some of these coaches that – they get into a situation where they either weren't, they were an assistant, but not for very long. Um, and then they immediately got the job or they are one of these, you know, younger head coaches that they're still trying to figure things out. Like Texas tech, I think is going to be a team that it's tough for me to see them, you know, doing much uh, whenever they hire a new coach. Cause I mean, we're just going to have to see who it is, but like, What's the experience level going to be like? Jerome Tang has seen it all in the NCAA tournament. He's seen losing to Yale, who was a double-digit seed in the first round, not Georgia rebounding State. the basketball at Georgia State. But he's also seen beating Gonzaga, who had they won that game, we would be calling one of the best college basketball teams of all time. But instead, it's his Baylor team that got it done. So I think that having him is a benefit, and it's so totally different than any of the, the regular first-year head coaches that you see. I think he's so much better equipped to handle it than others. And I think that's what, like you talked about Michigan state being the favorite just because Izzo's on their sideline. Jerome Tang has been great this season when he's needed to draw something up. And he, he is coached at a very, very high level in those situations. And, and I expect him to be able to um, match a lot of what Michigan state brings to the intangible side of the game tomorrow. I don't think that it's going to be rocket science needed to win. Uh, and I think that the guy who literally just said it's we got dudes um, and our dudes were better than their dudes on Sunday. That's the message from him. I would expect Michigan State uh, to, to get into the X's and O's. I would expect that Michigan State, if you're going matchup wise, is going to guard Naquan with Maddie Sissoko. I would expect that they're going to guard uh, not – I would think that if Ish is in the game or if Gasson is in the game, that those two guys are getting guarded by Joey Hauser. And I think it'll be Malik Hall and Keontae for the most part. So Marquise ball screens with Gasson should be an absolute must because especially if Tyson Walker is guarding Marquise, uh, I don't think Tyson Walker is a particularly special defender. 
if you get ball screens with Gasan and Hauser involved, you are going to either get roll opportunities with Gasan where he's getting a switch on Tyson Walker and he's getting a good look at the rim, or you're going to off of that force Sissoko to help, which creates opportunities for one of the scariest things that is, is on this K-State offense, which is Naquan catching the ball in the corner, pump faking a three and driving baseline for, for jams like that. That can happen multiple times. If you get the switch, Marquise on Joey Hauser is a mismatch of epic proportions from a foot speed perspective. And like he should take advantage of that a lot. So I don't know. I keep going through this in my brain. Uh, and just between that and the fact that you mentioned like Michigan State didn't beat a ton of high level tournament teams this year and Marquette was their best win by far. Uh, my basketball brain just keeps computing a K State win. I, and weird stuff can happen. It is March. Uh, Izzo had a full week to prepare, but I pre- I picked it in the in the pick and preview. I think K State wins. I do too. So we will uh, see if that ends up being the outcome. Uh, since Alec is is the only one in New York, uh, I will be live on the email online YouTube uh, Thursday night after the game ends, win or lose. Um, it's just going to be better for everybody if it's after a win, because uh, I've I've done a lot of uh, talking and manifesting of K-State winning this game. Because I'll just tell you right now, I, this is how I see it playing out. I think K-State wins. I, I have him 77-71 tomorrow against Michigan State. Close game. The, the margin gets up there because K-State gets fouled in the end, whatever. Marquise Noel is able to ice it. He's just fantastic at the free throw line. Um, and then I, I think regardless of who they play, I think it's one of those Elite Eight games where it's not even close. I don't think they have to bat. I think they blow out whoever they play, whether it's Florida Atlantic or Tennessee. I'm, I, will, I will put it in the pick and preview if they play in the Elite Eight. You can make it be FAU. You can make it be Tennessee. I'm taking K-State by 17 in that game. I really think that K-State's going to – it just makes sense. Like 59 years is far too long for a program like K-State to have not been to a Final Four. Especially when you consider that, like, 1964 is the last one. They had another quarter century after that where they were still a legitimate, like, I wouldn't say a power, but they were one of the 10 best programs in college basketball over that next quarter century. And they had dudes on those teams, and they still somehow didn't get there. And now we've seen teams that have come up just short with guys that, like, the 2010 team, like, should have been there, could have been there. Um, and Butler was able to get him, and then the 2018 team with Loyola. So I, I just it, it all seems to make too much sense. This team is too good. the The energy and everything going on is just at, at such a high level right now that I feel r- strangely confident about how this is going to play out. Um, and I'm sure it'll all bite me in the butt because like that's all I've ever known. But also at some point, like. You kind of just have to look around and say, maybe this is our year. Like, things have gone really well if you're a K-Stater this year. Like, football season was a blast. Like, that that played out as well as it possibly could have for you this season. And basketball season has been amazing. Like, Jerome Tang, year one, has gotten this thing from the grave to a really high level, and now he's chugging you along where you could be in a really special place. So, I – 
I oddly enough just think it's going to happen. But uh, tomorrow night after the game, I'll be live on the EMA Online YouTube. So be sure to go get subscribed over there right now if you're not already. You can turn on the notifications so you know when we go live. And uh, we'll have the instant recap from that. Also plenty of coverage over on EMA Online the next couple of days. Alec in New York, so he's bringing everything over there. Um, I don't know what the final result is going to be, but he is uh, working on something really, really cool uh, with Marquise Noel's brother. Uh, so we should have that up before tip-off or sometime this weekend. Um, so that will be something to look forward to. And also some football news over there today and uh, a recruiting update with Caden Massey, a uh, top target in the state of Kansas in 2024. So a lot of stuff going on. Good time to head over to EMA online, get signed up if you aren't already. And if you are, we appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking to you again and recapping everything in full on Friday. Hopefully Alec is able to join us for that one, or maybe he's having too good of a time in New York, but that'll do it for Gabe and I. And uh, we appreciate Carter Elliott stepping in and filling us in on the Michigan state side as well.